which is Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure, with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth, under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. There's a, a slide that's coming up that I stole from a book cover uh, by Michael Horton. It's called Union with Christ and it's about spectacles and the ability to see something clearly. To see something clearly that is throughout the pages of the Bible, but until it is made explicit to you, it may be hidden in plain sight. If you go up into London, there are a few places where you can go, and there are facades of housing. Sometimes they're in well-to-do areas, sometimes they're in not such well-to-do areas, but there is a facade of a house up near Regent's Park, and it hides behind it, well, kind of nothing. Behind it, there is an open trench that is part of the underground system in London. From the outside, it looks like a house that would cost you seven or eight, ten million pounds to buy. But it's just a facade. You can go through the front door. And if you were to go through the front door, you'd fall down a massive hole. And unless you landed on a train, and then it would be very kind of Daniel Craig or James Bond-esque. But it's a facade that the uh, London Underground have decided to hide their uh, underground uh, works in plain sight by the use of a facade. You may be a Daily Mail reader. One of the signs that you're a Daily Mail reader is this. Every single Monday morning there, you can take this to the bank, you can check tomorrow, there is one of these type of images. There is a, a natural history or a, a, an outward bound kind of picture that says, can you spot the animal in under 20 seconds and no one can? But it's one of those things just to get you your mind racing at the start of the busy week. And if you can't see it, there's an owl in that there tree. Can anyone, did anyone make that out? Well done if you did. It means the projector's working. Um, if not, could do better. Don't worry. Look at the Daily Mail tomorrow. Owls, train stations, great teachings of the Christian faith can hide in plain sight. They're there 
amongst the words, but until they're made explicit to you, they won't pop out. You may not be able to see them. That's the main reason for spending three weeks looking at this great teaching of the Christian faith, which means a doctrine that is woven throughout the pages of the Bible, written by the pen of Paul in the New Testament. And here's the great truth. By faith, every Christian is united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the big question is, so what? What does that mean? And I'm going to ask some questions to get us into verses 3 to 14. This huge, long, complicated, rich sentence written by the Apostle Paul that's found in Ephesians chapter 1. And really it's going to be based on one sentence, verse 3, sentence 3 of chapter 1, that Paul writes this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In that one sentence, you've got past tense. God has done something in the past. He's blessed us in Jesus in the past. And there is a present and future element to that that I want us to explore. You ask the, uh, the modern person what the word bless means, and they might point you to Hallmark, the Hallmark Channel for those cheesy films 24-7, or maybe to Clinton Cards, bless your heart, that kind of sentiment. But to, to bless in the Bible is closer to the Hebrew word shalom, worldwide, global, everlasting peace, a restoration of world and history and culture to the way God intended it to be. The word shalom means every joy, and every heart, or rather every benefit that your heart and soul needs and longs for can be found in a source. And that source is Jesus, is the claim of the New Testament. And so I want us to explore what does it mean to be united to Christ, to be joined to him. Three weeks is not enough, but let's see how we get on. And here's the first question, how? How do we get, verse 3, every spiritual blessing? How is that possible? Here we go. We need a set of spectacles. There's some phrases that Paul uses in the point number one. How do we get every spiritual blessing? Repetition is used by Paul that I want to point to you. How do we get every spiritual blessing? Look at sentence three, verse three. In Christ. Verse four says we're in him. Verse six says in the one he loves. Verse seven says in him we have Redemption. Verse 11 says, in him we were chosen. Verse 13 says, we're included in Christ. There's this audacious claim through redundancy and repetition from the Apostle Paul that says this. When you become a Christian, the Lord Jesus is not just a king you follow and obey. The Lord Jesus is not just an example to follow. The Lord Jesus is not even just a saviour to be grateful for. He is all of those things. When you become a Christian, that moment in history, that punctilia point of time, when you believe in him, when your heart rests in him, when you are put into him, God says everything that is true of Jesus is now by faith true of you. Now let's think about that for three weeks. Everything by faith, by the Spirit of God who makes this reality true to our hearts. Everything that is true of Jesus by faith is now true of you. All your riches are now his. 
You are safe in him. You're not safe outside of him. There's light in him. There's darkness outside of him. He's your representative head. He's a place of safety in the storm of judgment. All these images come from the Bible. But here's the, here's the bottom line. By faith, everything that is his, God gives now to you. You've not earned it. You don't deserve it. But by faith and God's benevolent kindness, that is now true of you. Now, how is that true of you? It's true legally. It's true legally. What do I mean? Now, look, most places around the world, when you get married, you give a ring one to another. And just imagine this, unless this is too close to home for you, I apologise. Imagine you're very, very poor and you marry someone who's very, very rich. That may have happened to you. But you're very, very poor and you marry someone who's very, very rich. When that legal ceremony happens, whether you get married in a church or not, when that legal ceremony happens, something remarkable happens. If you're the rich person, all the poverty of the poor person becomes to you. You get all their debts, all their student debts, all their car debts, all their credit card bills. And if you've got sufficient resources, you can wipe them out. Because you're married. You're not two people. You're now one, legally. But if you're the poor person, you get all their riches. You get all their uh, keys to their new properties, the ski lodge that's overseas. You get the speedboat keys. You see how my, my mind works. You get everything fun and exciting. You get the motorbike. I can say that because my wife's not here. You get the motorbike. You get everything that the rich person has. It's now yours. Your poverty has been replaced by a new status. You have riches beyond measure. You have access to certain places that you could never dream of. You have a new wardrobe that you cannot just look into a window. You can now buy anything you want. You have a walk-in wardrobe that looks like the size of your old apartment or place. You didn't earn a thing. But legally now, everything in your poverty, everything now that belonged to the rich partner is now yours. Now we're beginning to get at what it means to be united to Christ. Romans 6 verse 5 says this. We've been united with him, with Jesus in his death. Just as Jesus died on the cross, his death, you died with him. But as God raised his son from the grave, you are now free with him. You died with him, you've been united with him in his death, and now you're united with him in his resurrection, says the Apostle Paul in Romans 6. You deserved death, and you're united with Christ by faith, but you didn't deserve life. You were dead in your poverty, you were dead in your sins and your transgressions, your wrongdoing, your self-righteousness. But all of that wrongness was carried by Jesus and all of that rightness is now given to you because it belonged to Jesus. So that as the Heavenly Father looks on you, he does not see you in your sin. He sees you in this, his sonship, in Jesus. Jesus died taking our skin upon himself so that we can now live as it were, a sinless life. God looks at us and sees his sinless perfection. He died in our, for our sin and he took upon us our skin, so to speak. We died with him and we were raised with him. So this means that Christ, becoming a Christian is not a process in one way. It's not something you, you do grow in understanding, but it's not something that you do A to Z. You're either a Christian or you're not. You're either in him or you're not. You're in, in him or you're outside of him. Because salvation is by grace, you're either a Christian or you're not. If salvation was by works, there would be stages. See the difference? But it's something that is given to you. It's a status that's bestowed to you. 
It's clothing that you now wear. It's righteousness. It's like getting married. You're either married or you're not. And there are a million applications of this, but here's one. When God the Father looks at you and you're now in his Son, that means you are no longer defined by your past. Your past will always influence you. The beds you've slept in, the places you've been to, the mistakes you've made, the internet pages you've clicked on. Your past will always affect you, but it no longer has to define you because you're a new person in Jesus Christ. God looks at you, you're no longer defined by your past, your mistakes. God the Father looks on you in his Son, you're in him by faith. And because of Jesus, he's well pleased with you. He looks at you and his face smiles. He rejoices over you with singing, says the Old Testament. Think about Paul. How on earth could Paul write these words? How could he write in Romans 8, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Was he just having a really good day? Did he have bacon and eggs for breakfast and he's just in a great mood? No, he didn't do that. How could the Apostle Paul write this when he killed Christians, when he, he clapped with approval as Stephen was stoned? How could he, just a few days later, having seen the risen Lord Jesus, how could he then see the relatives of those people whose authority he had given so that they would be murdered brutally? How did Paul do that? Because he was united to the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 1. There's now no condemnation for those who are in, in Christ Jesus. Outside of him we are condemned. In him we stand in the righteousness of Jesus. There's now no condemnation. You're not defined by your past. You're a new person in him. That's just the first point. Your past influences you, but it no longer defines you. But what's the what? If that's the how, what's the what? What is every spiritual blessing? What is every spiritual blessing? Look at verse 3 again. Every spiritual blessing. That means there are too many to count. You need a big computer to kind of do this. Now there are a lot. I want to focus on two just because of time. Look at sentence 5. Adoption. You're adopted as his sons. Look at sentence 7. Redemption. Purchased. Liberation. In adoption, verse 5, it says here we're adopted as his sons. That means Jesus is not just your king, he's not just your deliverer. He's now by faith your father. And you by faith are now his sons. Nobody else has the privilege of being called a son other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet now by faith, the Spirit says that's now true of you. It's a remarkable truth. That means access, that means welcome, that means intimacy. That means discipline. That means security. All of these realities I want to think about very, very quickly. Think, uh, wasn't it a shame? Paul is so sexist. He's such a misogynist. You know, why didn't he just write in men and women? No, he's not. Let me explain what he means in verse 5. Adopted as sons. This is not sexist at all. It's just the opposite. In Roman times, the son's got everything. The lady's got nothing. And so Paul is saying, all of you, men and women, boys and girls, age and stage of life, it does not matter about your postcode, it does not matter about the colour of your skin. You can be, by faith in Jesus, a son of God. You can have the inheritance you don't deserve and haven't earned by faith in Jesus and in him. You're all adopted by God's grace. You haven't earned it, you don't deserve it. It's by faith. 
It's a gift. Men and women are co-heirs of Jesus on into eternity, and I don't understand that. It's too much for me. But we will judge angels, says 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's very inclusive. But adoption means intimacy. Adoption means a son or daughter with free access to go in and interrupt the President of the United States. The son or daughter able to go to a place of work and tug on your skirt or your trousers. Just wanting affection from you. Adoption means inheritance. Everything that's true of Jesus. He has the keys to eternity. He has all the riches beyond measure. All of that is now true of you by faith. You're sat next to him. There's a place reserved for you. All because of the God's grace. It means intimacy and inheritance. It means security. If you're an employer, if you're an employer, there are limits to what an employee can do. I mean, how many times do you have to put up with someone being late before you kick them out, before you give them a warning, written warning? How many post-it notes is it appropriate to steal or borrow for your children or uh, biros or pencils? How much before it's stealing? If you're an employer, there are boundaries to what an employee can do, appropriate conduct, before they're dismissed, and that's absolutely appropriate. But a child to a parent, that's different. There's almost no limits. They stole some of my pasta. How dare they? They want 10 minutes more watching, more screen time. I only said five. They've got into my chair. Would you get into my grave so quick? That kind of stuff. They're not an employee, you're not going to kick them out of the house or home. But with a child, it's intimacy. It's in intimacy and inheritance, it's security. You never get kicked out of the family home. God looks on you in the sun he loves, and he loves you. It's also discipline. What an unfashionable word. Everything God the Father does for you is for your ultimate good, so that you see his preciousness. You see his perfection and his beauty. You rely upon him more. And it's a severe mercy from the hand of God to bring us to our knees so that we see his sufficiency and his goodness. Struggles and trials are brought into our lives so that we see our weakness and his grace. Because he's a good, good father. He wants us to grow up men and women into the likeness of our elder brother, the Lord Jesus. He wants to mature our faith. It's part of adoption. That's the how and the what. But what about the why? Point number three, the why. Why can we have every spiritual blessing? Pride of place here is verse seven. In him we have redemption. In him we have redemption. Now what's redemption? It's a loaded word. Uh, four years ago we were having some building work done in our house. Um, in my notes, I wrote, we parked the car in a parallel road, but actually it was I. So uh, I uh, parked the car, and uh, truth be told, one uh, school morning, I believe it was a Monday morning from memory, I've tried to erase it, but it's not, this has brought it all back, but I'll get over it. Uh, on a Monday morning, I went out to see our car that was parked down a parallel road, down Fulford Road, opposite us, and uh, as I put my key in the lock, I noticed, because I wasn't very <laughs> attentive, it was early, on the school run, a massive yellow sticker that said untaxed vehicle. I looked down to my front wheel and it had been customised with a big yellow triangle that I didn't appreciate. Um, this means uh, I went into panic mode. Our builders got our children to school. We're forever grateful for them. But 
my car and it was my fault that I didn't change the address in the lovely DVLA. It was still at our old address in Crawley. Our car needed to be redeemed. It needed two things. It needed a penalty to be, to be paid, close to £300, and it also to be liberated from the tyranny of the yellow clamp. It was in slavery. It was enslaved to this yellow piece of rolled steel that I couldn't try, and I did give it a little tug, I assure you. <laughs> but redemption is two things. Redemption is a price being paid, and it's redemption and liberation from slavery. It's not one or other, it's both. You need to pay a debt. You need to be released from slavery. To make sure that we understand that we are enslaved, the Bible puts lots of colour and lots of different metaphors on this. The classic one is the Old Testament story of God's people being ransomed by God's mighty outstretched hand from Egypt. But there are many ways that we try and cloak ourselves in respectability so that we don't want to feel like we need help. We don't even need help. We don't want to be redeemed or rescued. We think we're quite enough, uh, quite good enough by ourselves. And so we seek to prove our enoughness in a, a secular way. We just want to be beautiful so that people accept us. We want to be fit enough so that people approve of us. We want to be successful enough so that people think one of us. We don't need help. We don't need redemption. We can put religious clothes on as well. I'm going to be a greatest dad. I'm going to be the greatest mum. I'm going to be respectable. I'm going to be engaged in ministry. And actually, it's all a show. It's all a facade, secular clothes, religious clothes. Neither people want to admit that they need redemption. And Paul says in him, verse 7, we have redemption by his blood. How does Jesus redeem a people? He doesn't pay a fine. He doesn't get a crowbar to try and get some yellow customising off his car. Jesus Christ from all eternity was sent by the Father to a lost and needy world. He lived empowered by the Holy Spirit day in, day out. And verse 7 says, we are redeemed through his blood. It's given to us freely at great cost to the Lord Jesus and to the Godhead, free for us. And it's not enough just to understand that as a concept. Okay, you went and paid for the car. It came, the clamp came off. And therefore, it's not enough just to understand the concept. You've got to understand that Jesus redeemed you. That's what this table is about. That's what it's for. It's not just a theological concept or a religious idea. Paul is saying you need to understand this personally. <coughs> Jesus died for you. Jesus rescued you. Jesus saved you. Jesus paid everything for you. You bring nothing to the party. He pays everything. Objectively, we can say that we've been accepted. We've been pardoned. So just as you're no longer defined by your past... You've been pardoned in the son he loves. Therefore, there's no fear. There's the absence of shame. God knows the depths of your heart and loves you the same. But if you don't see in Jesus the love that you're looking for everywhere else, you'll be crushed by that weight of trying to find it in different bedrooms, different internet sites, different places. And it's only when you understand that Jesus died for you, that he died and his blood was shed for you. He was redeemed to save, or rather, you were redeemed by his saving work. It's only when you see that that you truly grasp the height and width and depth of the love of God. 
So how do you know, as we come around the table, how do you know this remarkable reality? Verse 6 says, this is how you know if you are trusting in the blood of Jesus. It says, this phrase that's there in this passage three times, verse 6, verse 12, verse 14. Here's how you know if you have every spiritual blessing in Jesus this morning. To the praise of his glorious grace. Notice that? Paul writes this one sentence in the original language from verse 3 through verse 14. Close to 160 words. He just gets taken up by the Spirit of God, glorying in the gospel of God. And he said, this is all about, this is all for your great need, but God's, it's all God's benevolence. It's his great grace that he showers upon you. He didn't have to, he chose to. You have every spiritual blessing. And it's not enough to just, just, just grasp that idea. You've got to say, that is precious to me. It's glorious to me. When you see it's glorious to you, that's when you know that you have every spiritual blessing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just the way that you've received every spiritual blessing. This is also by the means that it's, the truth is needed into your heart and into your spirit. Christian friend, is the reality that Jesus died for you, that he was raised for you so that now you're seated with him, is that still glorious to you? Is your heart still soft to that reality? Because there's nothing more beautiful than someone dying in the place of someone else. Let me tell you two stories to close. January 1982, there was an Air Florida Flight uh, 90 taking off from Washington National Airport in America. It hits a, hits a bridge on the icy Potomac uh, Lake or river that runs through New York. And... Uh, all that's popping out of the water is, is the tail fin. As quick as they can, a, a helicopter gets there to rescue as many people as possible. Because of the temperature of the water, many people have died already. There's one man called Arlen Williams. He's swimming around in the, in the icy water, and a news helicopter lo lo lowers down the, the, the hook, the winch, to rescue him. And as it's uh, lowered down, Arlen gets the winch and he gives it to someone else and they wheel up someone else and he goes looking for someone else. The second time the winch comes down and he gets it and he gives it to someone else. Third time, fourth time, fifth time, five people were saved because Arlen Williams connected them to the hook that got them up to the safety of the helicopter. And none of those five were called Arlen Williams. He gave his life five times for other people. He rescued five people in the dying moments of his life before he died in the icy waters. There's nothing more beautiful than someone giving their life, laying down their life for someone else that doesn't deserve it. Take uh, another example from fiction. Think about Harry Potter's mum. Harry Potter books have sold millions of copies globally. And Harry Potter's mum gives her life. That's the, the deep magic, the strong magic of the story. That's why Voldemort cannot touch Harry, because of her sacrificial love. Harry has a conversation with Dumbledore in one of the books and says, why can't Voldemort touch me? And Dumbledore explains, because your mother gave her life for you, because your mother sacrificed her love for you. That's the strongest magic there is. That puts a power on you that evil can't deal with. And you read that as an adult and you say, that's right.
That's right, that's the deep magic of the universe. There's a moral beauty to someone laying down their life for someone else. But here's a table that's true. It's not written in fiction. And here's a reality in Ephesians chapter 1. And it says this, the table speaks to us and says, Jesus Christ came to earth and he did that for you. Is he precious to you? Is he glorious to you? Jesus Christ died for you so that now the Father sees you by faith in him. That's what these new spectacles represent. Everything that is true of Jesus by faith is now true of you. You've been united to Christ. It's been hidden in plain sight perhaps till now, but it's everywhere through the Bible. And it's my hope that as we see this in the next few weeks, you will see God in a new way. He'll get fresh praise from you as you see his great divine rescue plan. And when you see that, how great and glorious he is, that truth and that truth alone has power to to captivate your heart in a fresh way. Because only the blood of Jesus, says Paul, cleanses us from all sin. Everything that is true of Jesus, by faith, is now true of me. Let's pray.